You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and this is the final Edinburgh Live show recorded last year at the Gilded Balloon. I've been very excited about releasing this last episode. This is Jim Jeffries. Sorry about the voice, this is uh, in the festival voice. Yeah, it really is. I was worried about mine, but you've thrown that into perspective, so I appreciate I've, that. I've never, I've never done a, a last show of the festival where I could talk properly. Really? Yeah, it's just you wear it out. And I'd like to say, everyone always goes, oh, I had so many shows back to back and doing extra shows. and You know, your voice just gets worn out, but it's just, it's just drinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't blame it on anything else. You, anyone can talk for an hour. It's not that hard. Yeah, sure. And are you, are you drinking every night? What's your social calendar no, like well, during No, well, my show this year was called Fully Functional because um, uh, it's, this is the first time I haven't been drunk on stage for my shows, like, in my entire career. And other shows were called, like, Hammered and Alcoholocaust. And, um, so I thought, I'll see if I can do a run sober. Which I have done, but I'm drinking after the shows about every sort of second or third day. My girlfriend's pregnant, so it's okay. pregnant chicks don't like the Edinburgh Festival as much as you might think. <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, it's, there's not the best environment. You're like, Do you want to go into a dank cave and breathe in spores for an hour? Sure. While I get drunk in the corner. Yeah, so. So how, is that, how have you found that if you're drinking? <coughs> how, what's it like uh, not being drunk on stage for the first time? I mean, is well, that- I've, been doing that, I've been doing that in America. Uh, for a couple of years now. And that was okay. really America was the thing that stopped me doing it. When I used to be drunk on stage here, no one really cared. And, <laughs> and that, then over there, it was like, Jim has a problem. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and did that, did, that re, did that make you reassess? Or is it, is it a different experience? It was, it was well, I, I, I had some minor liver problems after um, Edinburgh two years ago. Okay. It was just a bit enlarged. I had a condition that the doctors were calling uh, shitting blood. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Um, so, so I, we've gone I, dark early, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. So we've I, got, no, 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 that's good. It's all good. This is. I really thought good. I should fix that. Yeah. Even I saw that as a bad sign. Sure. And um, so I went off the booze for eight months, realised that I, I, I did miss it, and then um, decided to take it back up again, but not on stage. Okay. And what's the experience of of performing? Like, what, what's the difference in the experience of performing? Do you find that, that <coughs> being drunk on stage gives you an extra edge, takes away an edge, gives you an extra risk of um, creativity? It, 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 I, I have the greatest shows I've ever done have been leather drunk. Okay. And the worst shows I've ever done have been leather drunk. So, okay. So I, I, I'm losing the two extremes, but I'm more consistent. And sure. I think my shows are better all, all over. You, you could have shown up to any gig I did this month and it was, was going to be pretty good. Yeah. Where the last other Edinburgh's, it could have been a disaster. Okay. But it was, you know, it's also, it's good. Now with people videotaping every show, every show I do gets on the YouTube 
just like if it's 10 seconds of it or whatever from mm. someone's camera phone. I, 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 I was getting my dick out like 50% of the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that's the sentence I'll be clipping to advertise the yeah. show. Like, <laughs> okay. So you, I mean, did you feel like you were out of control? Were you happy to be out of control? I was enjoying being out of control. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was happy to be out of control. So let's, let's just go back a little bit and try and place you in context. I'm sure most people here will have seen you or, or uh, seen you either live or on a DVD. <laughs> um, but uh, let's just... And we will just sort of spend a few minutes setting you in context as well. Because sure. I, I realise you all have told the story of how you started many times. Right. right. But just to, just to kind of place you, well, how long have you been going as a comic? Um, I did uh, three open spots when I was 17 and then I didn't do it again till I was 23. I'm 35 now. Okay. But the three open spots when I was 17 were in Sydney. And um, the first one, I, I went into the comedy club and um, I did really well. And then they found out my age and they said, oh, you've got to bring a parent to okay. the next one. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's ideal for your act. Really, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so I got my dad to take me down. And then the second one, I died because I was nervous because my dad was there. And then he let me do another one, and it, and it went a little better. But my okay. dad had that chat with me in the car on the way back that said, this isn't for you, mate. Oh, You're man. Right. And I've, I really felt a little bit like, oh. And I thought, yeah, I guess he's right. I guess I can't do this. And then um, I, I got up again when I was at university. I studied musical theatre. and You mentioned that during the show. I couldn't yeah. tell if that... Okay. We're... I lie and say I finished my degree on stage, but I didn't. But I, I, okay. I was six months off. So how come how come musical theatre was that a, a love um, of yours? Is that something I was going to? Was that something your parents forced you was, into? As a it was the same course that Hugh Jackman did. Okay. In in, uh, in, a, in, in that, Perth, that is the most credible musical theatre course yeah, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it was it was a university that was uh, a performing arts based one. Plus, it was one that was the furthest point from my parents in Australia. Okay. And that was the big draw to get out of home. Sure. You know, and it was also I didn't have good enough grades to get into university, so I had to do something audition based. Okay. I didn't really care about how you did at school. Sure. And so, how did you find? How were you on that course? Were you because you're you're obviously as a as a a performer as a stand up comic, you I think have the appearance of having thrown it all together, and you know it's it's fairly yeah. blunt. But there's a lot of deftness going on there, and I wonder. I sort of envisaging that, like secretly underneath it, you're this. You could break out into. Do you know what I mean? As if every um, as if every stumble is actually calculated and choreographed. I, I, mean, I, I think much. my show's slightly more calculated than than uh, I lead on. I, I would agree with that, but I mean. Um, yeah, look, look. I, if I had my way, I'd be all singing, all dancing. I, I would, but I don't. I don't have the voice anymore, so I, I can't do that. Really, I couldn't tell if you were being dry then or not. No, I, no, I no, love no. It because you have surely you've got your way. You're I, selling out monster-sized venues, and I, you know. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a fairly camp guy when it comes down to it. I, 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 uh, I listen. I, I got satellite radio in my car, and I listen to the musical channel. Okay. And my girlfriend just looks at me because I go, oh, I love this one. <laughs> I, and, I, and I go, oh, Stephen Sondheim. They never improved on Sondheim. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really bad like that, yeah. That's I, I, for some reason, I've been given a tough guy image. I don't know. 
You can, okay. you can be both, right? Can... So, well, let, let's look at that, that tough guy then. When you started off as a comic, were you, those first few open spots or your first year or two when you returned to it, yeah. were you doing the sort of material that you're doing now? Did you have well, that sort of I, attitude? i got to be honest, I've still got a few enemies from it. Um, I, I wasn't told at that stage that you had to write all the original jokes. Sure. And I had got nodules on my vocal cords and that's why I was had to give up the musical theatre course and that type of stuff. I couldn't speak for three months. Okay. <coughs> and I still get them every now and again now. But um, but I had, I had so, you know, nodules and I coun't speak and I was just watching Richard Pryor live in concert over and over. And then I watched the um, Chris Rock you know, mm-hmm. HBO special and I just stole a lot of jokes from that and I was in Perth just telling jokes about how hard it was to be a young black man. <laughs> and and um, it, it, I was maybe doing that for about two months before people went, you know, like, I didn't know why the other young comics hated me. Because okay. I was from a background where musical theatre and acting and all that was where we, you, no one wrote their own shit. Yeah, of course. So I took, I took another three months off and tried to write five minutes and thought, Jesus, this is fucking hard, this. Yeah. And then started again. So when? So what kind of stuff were you writing then? When you started writing your own, um, your, your first? I started. Own I started writing religious jokes pretty early on. Okay. I remember one of my early routines. I did a lot. Of, I did a lot of things about the theme song from the A Team and a boy band routine. And okay. A, but I remember one of the first sort of um, religious jokes I did was uh, I, I was I was on ecstasy and I remember trying to go to sleep while the hour of power was playing on the TV. This isn't a joke. This is where it came <laughs> okay. up. And um, there was this talk about... I never knew at that stage that God wasn't born before... Th- uh, that didn't do any God-like activities before 30. He was just rocking out as a carpenter. Okay. And I thought, I thought well, surely he knew he was God. There must have been a moment where his mum went, <laughs> how I got pregnant, funny story. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right, but then he, it dawned on him when he was like 30, and maybe he didn't know the whole time, right? But he worked as a carpenter. Maybe, maybe Joseph sat him down and said, look, it's great that you're the Messiah and all that, but maybe you should get yourself a trade first. Yeah. What if this religion thing doesn't work out? And I remember thinking, like, that was like a real bit, mm. you know? And uh, before that, I didn't have bits. I had like, I did a thing where I went, uh, what do you call this to the audience? And they go, they'd go, it's your funny bone. I go, but it really hurts when you hit it. I go, I'd like you to meet my hysterical testicles, right? And I, <laughs> and I thought, I thought that was God, but it, it's real. That's real fluff. That you know, sure. I mean, there's no much depth to it. Anybody can come up with that idea. Or... Did you Did you feel at the time? Did you notice? Did you think of it as fluff, or was it just when you when you found the the God stuff? You went, yeah. hang on a minute. This yeah, is... when I went, there's more you can do, and there's. But, but I've never been a guy who's um, had a notebook or a set list or anything like okay. that. I've never I've never written a joke down. Sure. So your the stuff about God that that kind of switched on something for you, and you thought. I mean, it, what, was the, what was the driving force there? Did you think, this is stupid and I want to tell people this is stupid? Well, it's, I think every comic also works towards their strength. Is There's something, I don't know what I've got that makes it so that I'm a palatable guy to be offensive. Yeah, okay. Right, because you watch a lot of um, open mic guys that tell jokes that aren't as offensive as what I tell, but I'm sitting there going, ooh. 
yeah. ooh, don't say that. Yeah. Right? And there's something, I don't know if, if, I'm, if I've got a level of charm or what it is, but there's some reason that I can say the word cunt in America and no one else can say cunt in America. Yeah, okay. And I'm, I'm being serious. I'm the only guy living in the States who... There was one thing that HBO did when I got the special. So the HBO special was like a big moment for me. Sure. And also because I was so in like the Chris Rock one and I was like, and I've never been like a Bill Hicks guy or anything like that. I always liked all the big fucking lights and the stuff and the big specials. Right? Anyway, um, because that was my introduction into America, HBO went, okay, you can say cunt as much as you want, but you got to do it after the first 10 minutes because the ratings fall in 10-minute slots. Okay. And it's, it's one thing to get good ratings, but it, the big thing is holding the ratings after 10 minutes. Okay. And that's the one they care about, whether people are turning off or not. So I had a, a cunt light at the back of the room, <laughs> <laughs> which, which was... Which was uh, if you if if you watch that special for ten minutes, I don't say it, and then I just slip one in. Aunt Panda's a bunch of cunts, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I'm just cunt, 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 cunt for the rest of it. But uh, <coughs> it's like that bit in Rocky where he goes, "Switch back to Southpaw, kid." Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I remember it being a big relief. Like, and we're on. Yeah. Right? Okay. Okay. And then Jesus. after that, I've never had anyone. Have a problem with it. So, you, I mean, I think it's, I, I totally agree with you that there is something more palatable about you saying it. And I wonder if that's because of your status on stage. You're not strutting, telling everyone how it is. You're kind of the, you're almost beaten. Do you yeah. mean you, it's like you've got that same energy as when you see Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis in a vest getting the shit kicked out of him. Yes, I You're, understand. Do you know what I mean? He's like, he's the hero you can believe in because he's just been beaten shitless by life. And you, your, your kind of demeanour and how, how you talk I, th- I about- think I, I self-deprecate maybe a little bit more than people give me credit for sure. as well. And I, I think uh, it's subtle in many cases. But yeah. I think that's the one of the big secrets to, to dirty comedy is self-deprecation. Okay. There's no use just talking about some female that has bad genitalia unless your genitalia is bad as well and it's all meshed <laughs> a, together. A delightful analogy. No, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Unless yeah, it's all meshed together. Absolutely. It can't just be like at the end of this show I've got a terrible story about a, a, a threesome that involves a, a rape and a, oh, it's a horrible story. Yeah. But in the end it's sort of heartwarming for no apparent reason. It it's, really is. It really is. It's an incredible yeah. coup there. Switched, <laughs> switching like that and it, you know and then I I, I I did a weird gig last night because I haven't been doing any other gigs and also for the last sort of four years <coughs> excuse me I've only been doing gigs really to people who are fans of mine you know you get yeah, to that stage okay. especially in America where it's just theatres and then coming over here it's just the Edinburgh Festival and you're just people are buying shows reading the reviews and coming to see you and I hosted Best of Fest okay. last night in the same venue that I do my show. And it was fucking terrifying. Okay. Because I hadn't for four years performed in front of a crowd that didn't already really like me. Sure. And I realised that a lot of these jokes now are just engineered to my fans. And yeah, I, okay. I, I probably wouldn't be a very good club comic anymore. Okay. And I used to be quite a good club comic, but I, I think if I had to get up at John Lewis Watford tomorrow, yeah. I'd probably die. Yeah, okay. Okay, because you're, because you're, 
your routine has become evolved to fit yeah. the, the, the perception of you. A lot of the jokes are about what we're expecting from you. And when everyone's cheering, nothing seems offensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when you say something and people go... Mm. Yeah, let's think about and that. Then you go, <laughs> and then you actually go, fuck, that's an offensive joke, man. And yeah. I, I told a joke about this girl in this car and... And she offered me a lift, but she rang her mother up first. And this is a joke that. I haven't told for years. I remember seeing you in, in Jonglers Camden. <clears throat> she rang her mother up first. Went, hi, mum, it's Carla. I've just met a nice guy. I'm going to give him a lift. But in case I get raped or murdered, his name's Jim Jeffries. And I thought that was very odd because she offered the lift. Yeah. And then, so I sat in the car and then three miles down the street, I turned to her and went, you just made this rape really awkward, right? <laughs> she freaked out. She freaked out. Now, that was better response than I got. <laughs> uh, at 1am <laughs> and then some guy just yelled out he went rape's never funny and then I you know look there's an argument for this thing when you say talking about cancer's never funny talking about pedophilia's never funny talking about rape's never funny it's true and then but then he said I said well, I, I said why is it never funny and he went well why don't you he goes why don't you ask a rape victim like that and then my brain thinks well falling over a banana peel's not funny to the mm. guy who falls on the fucking banana peel, right? Mm. And this is... I know that they're two different things. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying... But I'm saying you can, if you come from the right direction, sort of make anything funny, you yeah. know? I, but I think also audiences have to realise when you see an offensive comic that if, if, you're, not a, if you're offended by one thing, it's almost a, a selfish emotion which is harsh to say to people because people have things affect them in their own lives. Sure. But if, if I talk about cancer, you can't laugh at the AIDS joke and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You either have to be offended by all of it. Now, I'm okay with that. If you're just a person who's highly strung and you get offended by everything, fair enough. That's just who you are. But if you, you've got to override being offended by one subject. You can't pick and choose. Can't That's kind choose. of a hypocrisy, is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, to be, to be only <clears throat> offended by And it's very hard for people to do because people have emotions and emotions can override anything but you, you got to try to mm. you know I had someone commit suicide in my life I find it a very tense thing and I always find it weird how many, many like clean comics will flippantly say um, oh, why don't you go kill yourself to an audience member or something stupid yeah. like that and I always think to myself fuck that really ruins families more than disease at least disease you get to say goodbye to the person sure right but suicide destroys people and leaves and leaves people feeling guilty and blaming themselves and all that type of stuff. It's a fucking horrible thing when it happens to you. And so I don't like joking about it, but if, would I stand up if another comic joked about it and stand up and go, it's never funny to make sure. it? To no, because I'm, sure. I'm not a fucking moron, right? <laughs> so I, I, and I hate saying that because I don't want to upset people. Yeah. I don't, but, you know, they've got to be smarter than that. So, I mean, I also think in the, and you, as you say, it's about self-deprecating. In, in that example of the, the, you've made this rape really awkward joke, yeah. the victim is, is kind of you in yeah, that yeah. joke because, like, you're, you know, even in the, the, the sort of the invented logic of that joke where that's what you were planning, you know, you failed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you're like, so, so it, does, it does have that kind of internal angle where you're not the victim. Where, yeah. Sorry, where she's not the victim, where you're the victim. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I got a, a lot of stories like that. The, you know, the, the final stories I said about the threesome and the moment, it, it, 
that one, as I said, it ends with me trying to have a threesome and that, having a threesome with two girls. And that always sounds like bigging, a ma- bigging yourself up like I fuck two chicks, right? Sure. But the fact is I fuck two chicks badly. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I made, I was the one who that disappointed everyone in the room and, sure. you know. And do you have to, when you take that, that story, when you take the literal truth of what happened, do you find that you need to adjust elements of it in order to keep you being the victim in all of our minds? Um, yes, no, there's some little embellishments here and there, you know. It's like, even over the course of the festival, there's a bit where I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I've taken a gram of Coke in 40 minutes and my cock's shriveled up like a walnut and I'm about to have sex with these two girls, but then you're just thinking, this is not even going to work, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, like, over, the, over this run, for some reason, and I don't know why, I've made my balls really big. In that scene, because <laughs> I just think it's a funnier visual <laughs> if my cock's really small and my balls are really big. Okay. And so I don't know why I've decided that. I, I don't, can't remember. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I, I don't remember every detail of my fucking sure, life. Sure. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. So I'll tell you a funny thing about that story, right? Basically, it starts off with a, an A-list movie star... Um, I'm at the Montreal Just for Last Comedy Festival and it gets out a bit out of hand and mm-hmm. he starts getting a little bit rapey with these two girls and I stop it and to congratulate me they basically have a threesome with me which is a weird thing. Now I've never told anybody who the movie star is and I'm not about to tell it right now but but there was, <laughs> did, you, did you just audibly say, damn? <laughs> but there's a, another guy who's very famous who I know uh, who rang me up after I told that story and he goes to me, he goes, he goes, fucking hell, man. He goes, you really embellished that story. I was never as bad as that. And then I went, oh, I forgot you tried to rape someone. It wasn't that, <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> And oh what, what it was, was it was basically this guy, he thought I embellished, because he was in a bar and he was just getting a bit grabby at a girl. I went, time for you to go to bed. Come yeah, on. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was one of those type of situations. And he went, you made me sound a lot worse than I was. <laughs> By putting you in a different room in a different scene with all the rest of the Yeah, oh and then God. I got off the phone and I was thinking to myself, my friends are shitty people, man. <laughs> So I really enjoyed doing this interview. I think we've got some really funny stories about Jim's life and career, but we've also got some great stuff on structure and process on what it means to be a, a dirty comic and uh, and the self-deprecating nature of the performer in that case. Uh, also, we've got some stuff, uh, a lot of things on comic storytelling. Jim's a big storyteller, as, as he'll explain. Uh, also, at the very end of this show, we've got some very specific advice for new comics, uh, really helpful insight into one of the most important things to consider if you're trying to grow a fan base as I'm sure everyone is uh, but also I think from the point of view of a, a non-comedian listener I think it's he uh, says some really interesting stuff there about the relationship between the clubs and shows and growing beyond the clubs um, as you know I'm in Adelaide at the moment at the Fringe and I'm actually gigging out of town I didn't quite realise how little time I, how little opportunity I was going to get whilst here to see other shows in the Fringe that will change in Melbourne in a month but obviously I can't interview people for this show until I've seen them so I, I'm doing my best to squeeze them into my nights off and I've got a couple of interviews lined up that I'm really excited excited about so more of that uh, in melbourne but we've got some coming up in the next few weeks as well now awards awards sexy exciting 
totally meaningless but very flattering. I found out this morning that I'm up for a Chortle Award. Uh, Chortle.co.uk, as many of you will know, is a website specialising in uh, frequently insightful, occasionally catty reviews of comedians, and it's also a sort of a hub for comedy news and correspondence and things like that. Uh, this show, I'm very pleased to report, has been nominated for Best Podcast and is up against Pappy's Flatshare Slamdown, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast and Peacock and Gamble. They're all brilliant shows. They're genuinely very funny, exciting shows. I'm thrilled to be in their company. But only one podcast can win, so let's just reflect for a moment on what a win would mean to those other acts. I mean, Herring could put that award next to all of his other awards, couldn't he? Pappies, could, uh, they could put theirs in the background of their new TV series that they're doing, and Peacock and Gamble could use theirs to club a baby seal to death, as is their custom. I'm sure a win would mean a great deal to all of them, and I'm sure it would mean a great deal to their producers and their PR firms and their big Hollywood agents. And as I, as I sit here recording this alone, talking to you from under my duvet to reduce background noise, I was thinking... All of those shows, all of those guys have got much bigger fan bases than I have. I think that's fair to say. They've got mailing lists, all all, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, What I've got, though, is loyalty. I reckon they're going to ask their listenership to vote for them, and I reckon maybe 30-odd people, 30-odd percent of, of their fans will actually get around to doing it. There's not many of us. But I think if every single one of you votes for this show, goes to chortle.co.uk and casts their vote, then I reckon we could just about scrape third equal. And come on, everyone remembers the third man on the moon, right? Am I right, guys? So go to chortle.co.uk, follow the link to cast your vote if you fancy. That would be very kind of you. Thank you for all your emails. Info at comedianscomedian.com if you'd like to contribute. Tweet me at comcompod. And now, let's get back to Jim Jeffries. So the the elements of your work that are <coughs> uh, that are autobiographical. When when did you start telling stories about your life? Like in the in the genesis of of your persona well, on stage. I, I I thank Edinburgh for that because before that, when I was just doing twenty minutes, so, so I I've had routines that I had, I had a routine about taking family muscular dystrophy to a brothel that was thirty minutes long, you know, and uh, I don't think many comics have that thing, and you can't do that. On the circuit, you can't just get up and do. I'm doing one story, and no, I, can, sure. I I started doing that towards the end before I got off the circuit. But you can't start off with. I'm going to tell you one story because then it's like, what if this one story seems to suck? Yeah, and you've got what are you going to do for the next 18 minutes when they're not into it? You know. Yeah. <clears throat> so coming up to Edinburgh for my first festival, I had my 20 minute set. And then I had to write another 40 minutes to do the festival. And so I thought, well, I'll tell some stories and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I realised I was good at telling stories. And I thought, oh, well, this might be a way to go. And and then I started bringing in, like, sitting in a chair and chatting, like, you know, weird type of stuff. Like, I had, like, a Barker lounge in one of my specials and, you know. Okay. And is that that to sort of say to the audience, this is what you're going to get, that thing of having a chair on stage? Or is it just... You yeah, got- well, it's just, I, I think it's sometimes you can tell a story a bit better seated down. I think people focus in on you, you more. Yeah. Um, but my first Edinburgh show, and it was, it was of its time, was called, called Porn Idol, because mm-hmm. uh, Pop Idol was yeah. popular. This is even before the X Factor Kids. This is how, <laughs> this is how long ago this was. <laughs> and um, it was basically me telling a few sex jokes, but the big, the big hook was that I had a story about I was in a porno once okay as a, a team what happened was i was young and i needed the money that's what i'll say i um came out to to england 
and I got an agent and everything. And then the, the whatever the porn channel was, Television X or whatever it was, they started doing game show parody porn. Okay. And um, I didn't fuck in it. I was a game show host. <laughs> this, this exists, this tape. And okay. I showed it on a big screen. And we did a version of Stars in Their Eyes called Come in Their Eyes. And I, <laughs> and I played Matthew Kelly. And I was about 24, 25. I'd been a comic for about a year and a half or something. Basically, we, we had one guy that dressed like Eminem. Okay. And he had like a hockey mask on and came out with a chainsaw. And then another girl dressed like Britney Spears. And then they fucked. And then... He came on her and then I came out afterwards and went, wasn't that great? <laughs> oh, God. And I remember having my arm around a girl covered in jizz, waving goodnight <laughs> like this. But the, the thing, so that wasn't really a topic I could just talk about in the clubs. So I thought sure. it was more an Edinburgh story. More of a challenging, yeah. Uh... Um, but the, the, I'll tell you the funniest thing that happened from that. I, I, I should start telling this again because I've never put it on, on tape or anything, this story. Mm. But um, the the funniest thing was uh, that I remember that every comic would would, kn would know this moment in a different format. Was when they they don't just fucking pull and then pull out and come on the girl's face. The guys and this guy was coked up and he he had the guy from the corner and he gets close and then when he says he's close he runs in and does it. In case you were ever wondering how that happens, so. He's off to the side masturbating and I'm sitting in a chair next to him and his cock's about here and he's just, and he's just chatting to me, <laughs> right? And he goes to me, he goes, Jim, how'd you get into comedy, mate? <laughs> and I went, oh, oh, you know, I just started doing some open spots when I was at university, you know? And he goes, don't know how you do that, mate. That's got to be the hardest job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's worth re revisiting. Yeah, every every comic's had that conversation, but never like that. <laughs> and then he went, "All right, ready," and ran off. And ran. The girl sort of pricked up, like, "All right, what are we? What are we doing?" Well, if it'll make you feel more comfortable for the rest of this interview, I'm perfectly happy to uh, to go the extra mile. So. <laughs> I thought you were going to say to me that you're in a porn as well. Um, no, I've always not. been happy that I've done that Edinburgh show because I think now, especially with like, oh shit, sorry, I got to turn my fucking phone off. Sorry. <laughs> um, especially now with um, with me having my own TV show in America, I, it, there's a good chance that I'm famous enough now that that could make a National Enquirer or a, sure, sure, and uh, you know, you've got in there first yourself. I've already said that I did it. Yeah, a thousand yeah. times. So what's the problem? So did you, do you think you've become the sort of comic that you thought you would be when you were a younger act? I mean, obviously you said your influences at the time were prior. Yeah, I, 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 no, not really. I think I evolved into this. I think, I think every comic, this is going to sound silly, thinks they're the best comic in the world. Okay. And I'll tell you why, because every comic's writing the jokes that they want to hear. Yeah. Right, so my jokes are fucking tailor-made for me. I think they're great. <laughs> right? But they mightn't be to everyone's taste. And okay. the, the hope is that, that many people agree with you. Sure. Now, have you... That's an interesting point. Have you ever tailored what you did to try and make it more accessible to other people? Or have you always gone, I'm going to do this because it makes me, me laugh? No, I've never really tailored it. I've always just hoped 
that I'd get a following and that, mm. that you know, I I got to give America a lot of credit for having such great cable networks that let you swear and stuff like that because yeah. over here... You must have very I, limited options I wasn't options getting here. a lot of options here. Like yeah. Comedy Central were very nice to me. But I, I could do like an 8 out of 10 cats every now and again or... A, I, I, I allegedly, uh, Paul Merton says that I was the worst episode of, of I Got News For You. And I, I still think I killed it. <laughs> really? And I, I, I've had some, I had a terrible eight out of ten cats. I had one bad Buzzcocks and another good Buzzcocks. But I always think I did really well on that, that episode. And I don't know why he thinks I was so bad. I think it's because I just kept on talking and didn't mention the news. <laughs> but but I, was, I had the crowd laughing. Yeah, sure. I don't think I was actually playing the game. But those games are so stupid. Yeah. They, no one wins, and if you do win, who cares? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, know, real, the real game is to The be real funny, game is to it? be funny yeah. for mine and to cause a ruckus. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and Moira Stewart was hosting, <laughs> and I, she, we took a bit of a shine to each other, me and Moira. I'll tell you, we did. I made her blush. Hard to make a black woman blush. <laughs> That's that's uh, you got to really talk them around. <laughs> so, did you, when you said you didn't, I mean, did you enjoy doing those shows? Did you enjoy that kind of combative environment? A lot of the the current, uh, the way the circuit and the way people think maybe about mock the week at the moment is it's a very combative environment where everyone's struggling to get heard and get their joke in because it could help sell their tour. Yeah, did, was that your experience? I've never it? done that one. That one okay. does look scary. Um. I the worst TV show I ever did was uh, did Chelsea lately Chelsea Handler's show in America. Okay, and it's a really popular show on the E Channel or whatever, but a really popular show. And um, I um, they said it's a panel show, and I thought I've done lots of these in the UK. I'm okay. a panel guy. I can do, but in America the panel section is two minutes. Okay, of the whole show, maybe three minutes, and it's. It's just um, they're talking about like Lindsay Lohan and why sure. she, you know, it's real fluff. And I sort of went, I just sat there like that going, all right, bide your time, wait till you have a zinger, you know. Yeah. And then time's up. Oh, no. Didn't say anything. <laughs> Didn't say anything. Oh, my God. Then I went back there and I thought, all right, I'm ready this time. And then I did a joke about Rolf Harris and then I was like, they don't know who Rolf Harris oh. is. And they all just stared at me. And, I, you know, there's nothing lonelier than trying to explain a man that sings about two little boys <laughs> <laughs> to a bunch of Americans. Like, Jesus. So in the, in the creation of your hour at mm. the moment... Um, there's a lot, as I was saying before, that, that kind of deftness where there's, there seems to be a lot going on under the surface in mm. terms of how, like, I, mean, I don't want to sort of spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but the, uh, you know, the conclusion that you come to about the Edinburgh Festival and inspiration and stuff like that, yeah. it wraps your show together really neatly without, and, and makes your point without being remotely overbearing or worthy or anything like that. Do yeah. you ever, when you write a show, how do you, how do you write an hour? What, how long does it take you in the, um, in the year? Well, this show is my easiest one to write because I didn't come last year. And okay. also because basically in America I'm always, I do an hour or an hour and a half every show. So it, it just forces you to write more. I do most of my writing on stage. And for this show I had maybe an hour and 40 minutes to choose from. And then I tried to choose what flowed the best and what seemed to be 
you know, for me, it's always all my shows. There's a formula to it. There's uh, a few jokes, a little, little bit about what I've been up to in the last year, and then uh, a bit of social commentary, a bit of stuff on religion, and then after religion's done, we sort of take a break and we do two long stories. Okay. And the long stories are sort of my favourite bit of the whole thing, but I sure. just think you, it, it, it's all. I, I always like just uh, uh, at least the beginning just to talk about me for a bit, mm-hmm. you know. And they, I, I think people think it's probably egotistical or something like that, but the fact is I'm not that well-read to be a political comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only subject I'm a real expert on is me. Sure. And, you know, and so when I say social commentary, you, anyone can give social commentary. You don't have to be well-read for that. Okay. Because that's just your opinion and what you see society doing and that's just paying attention sure. to what's around you. And one of the things that you, uh, whether you're well-read or not, one of your great skills is making those social commentary, making really quite big concepts, mm. tearing into them, unpacking them, and then making that very accessible to an audience. I'm thinking of your, your routine at the moment about imagine if God was a guy at a party. Oh, yeah, yeah. How would he behave yeah, yeah. based on the way God behaves in the Bible and in Yeah, I like that routine too. We're, we're putting that, ep- that's our only surreal episode of the TV show. Okay. We're going to do God at a party. We're trying to get Will Farrell. Oh my God. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, yeah. That's what we really want. He's a, he's a friend of one of the directors. You're, I think, doing a little bit of an impression of him, of Will Farrell being God in the act out of being God. Well, I Just d- when you say that, having seen it the other night, there's, I can really see that. Well, I, I, I started doing it that way, and then it was like someone said that to me, and then it was like, okay. why don't we just try to get Will Farrell? And I never thought about it, but sort of how Will Farrell would act when he sure. gets upset. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, w- go on. It, it's, um, it's weird to get to that stage when, when, when someone goes, how about we just get Will Farrell? Yeah, man. And you go, oh, you think? You'd, you'd, you'd do. I'll tell you the weird one. I was in Montreal fucking... This is like a comedy. I'm going to name drop a little bit here. But I was in Montreal last month doing the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. And it, it, it's, the, it's the week before this festival starts. So I was doing this show, just, just doing it up in Montreal. And then afterwards, that festival works you like a dog because you're actually employed by the festival. It's not like you're up there by yourself. You can't pick and choose your gigs. Okay. So they say, oh, you've got to do this other club over town after your show. And so they rushed me over to this other fucking club and this club had like 12 people in it. And then I didn't get on stage for an hour and those 12 people were apathetic and it was mm. two in the morning. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing here, right? And then as soon as, but as soon as I got off stage, I got all the way over the other side of the club, over to the other side of town. And then my agent rings me up and goes, where are you? And I said, I'm over at this shitty club. And, and then he said, I've been sitting backstage with Jamie Foxx for 40 minutes. He's been waiting to meet you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I've got 12 people to disappoint right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you know, I never got to meet him. And it was one of those things that, like, my father's favourite movie is Ray. And I thought yeah. that would have been cool because my, I'm not very, I'm not a big comic in Australia and that would have been something for my, that would have been, that, that would have been. Can you turn your phones off, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen? Particularly if they're terrifying. <laughs> It does sound like a nuclear. Yeah. <laughs> that was a real Simpsons, the whole, yeah. the, the, the plant shutting down. <laughs> but, my, but yeah, the, I still have that want to, to impress my parents. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, this is probably the greatest 
thing my mother's ever said and one of the harshest all at once. So my girlfriend's pregnant. Um, the way I met my girlfriend was she was the prostitute in the pilot of my TV show. <laughs> she, we didn't have a prostitute on set. She was acting as a prostitute. <laughs> and... Um, so she was the actress that played the hooker that slept with a guy with muscular dystrophy that, that okay. was the thing, right? So I always get to look my son in the eye and go, when I met your mother, I employed her as a prostitute. You know, I, <laughs> I think it's a wonderful meeting story. But anyway, three, three months after we started filming or four months after she was pregnant, you know, we, we, it happened that quick. And um, then... Five months after the pilot, FX ring me up and say, I've got a 13-episode commitment. And I, I, I've been through four pilots before. This, for me, was a big, like, wow, I'm actually mm. making a season. Mm. So I ring my mother up with the biggest bit of news I've ever had. And now I told her a week earlier that I, I was having a child. So this is the second biggest bit of news I've okay. ever had, right? And I ring my mother up and say, Mum, they've given me my own TV show. And she goes, what is? She's always on oxygen. <laughs> she goes, what is the name of your TV show? And I said, it's called Legit, Mum. And she goes, how can you call your show Legit when your child is illegitimate? Right? <laughs> the two biggest bits of news in my entire life and she just smashed them in oh, one sentence. Oh, man. And I went, Mum. And she goes... I can't be the first person to say that. <laughs> and, and, and I went, Mum, believe it or not, I, I love you in many ways and, and uh, you were the first person I called with this news. Mm. And she went, well, call some other people and see what they say. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So there's no point asking you where you get that kind of brutal comic instinct from. Uh, she's... Fucking, she's a harsh woman, man. She's, I'll tell you how fucking lazy my mum is, right? This is, I can't believe this one. She rings me up three weeks ago and goes, I'm going to call my son Hank. Okay. Right? Real American name, Hank Jeffries, right? And uh, my mum goes, I'm knitting a blue blanket for Hank. Oh. And I went, oh, that's nice of you, mum. And then like two weeks later she goes, I've finished his blue hat. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went, wasn't that a blanket? I never said I was. <laughs> like she's just lying to me now. I, I had her on speakerphone. I've got witnesses. They, they all heard blue blanket. So, so when, you're, when you're taking that autobiographical stuff, those stories about things in your life, when you're taking <clears throat> them onto a stand-up stage, yeah. how much of it is, is ready in your head before you... Like you are saying, you do writing on stage. Is it, do they start off as stories you've told your mates? Well, it would, it's things like that. Like that's the first time I've told that story sort of out loud to, mm. in front of a room full of people. But this mm. is like a, more a radio type thing. I do a lot of radio and then I tell a lot of those stories and then I think, oh, well, from the response I just got now, my brain's just gone. Both of those things could possibly be built into a larger thing. Sure. And they'd just be two beats in a story. Yeah. And then I've got to have another bit that happens with my mother and stuff. And if I think now there's probably more I can okay. add on to it already. And I, 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 maybe that'll be a story that will be, you know, from now and then it'll be little time-lapse bits until the baby are born with all okay. the thing and then how my mother reacts afterwards, sure. you know. Um, 
but you know, I, I've already made a note. That that's sure, they're funny things. But that's and that's an instinctive process to you. you yeah. You're not actually writing notes down anywhere, or no. con- or constructing, or typing, or anything. No. Like that. Then, well, what I'll probably do is I'll probably tell that those um, two things again, maybe on a different radio show to make sure it's on a fluke or yeah, you know, <laughs> and then. You know, things like that, and tell them just on stage or whatever. Actually, actually, now I'm thinking about that. That's a good, that's a good little story for a Tonight Show. So I yeah. might, I might use that again on on uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. Sure. Because okay. the cool thing now is I have done the Tonight Shows. I've performed it, and that used to be a big deal. That if you did the Tonight Shows, you were famous the next day. But now. Mm. There's comics that I think Mark Maron's done Conan O'Brien 40-something times. Yeah, or, I think so. You know, it's something bizarre like that. <clears throat> but now the great thing is because of this TV show, I don't have to do stand-up comedy on Tonight Shows anymore. I can be a guest. You can guest. just be a guest who's really funny rather yeah. than a stand-up who has to be funny. And I'm, I'd rather be a guest, yeah. I think, because you, you get a bit more time. and uh, You know, look, I'm funnier... Than Charlie's Theron or what you know what I mean, like or whatever other cunt they're gonna fucking, <laughs> you know, like comics can be interviewed a lot better than actors. Yeah, of course. You know, so I'm, it's 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 not much competition. Sure. You know, like if if I if if I'm on the show and the other guest is, I'll tell you a story. I did um, I did uh, Lopez tonight before George Lopez's Tonight Show um, before it, it shut down, and the other guest was Justin Bieber. They must have been high-fiving each other in the office for booking that double act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was me and the Biebs, right? (laughs) And Bieber's mother was there. Now, Bieber's mum is the same age as me because she fucking gave birth to that cash machine at 16. Okay. Right? And Bieber's mum took a bit of a shine to me. And I wasn't that interested, and I had a I had a different girlfriend at the time. But there was a bit of me that was like, I could date Bieber's mum for a year, and I could get out of this with a million bucks. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? I, and also, it'd just be great to be with Bieber's mum, and just to go to Justin, go go to your room. Ah, oh, forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's your house. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a bit of material that you're most proud of? Is there a particular story or turn of phrase um, that you think, I really, that's me? Yeah, there's a few religious bits, but weirdly enough, the one that I'm most, the stuff that I'm most proud of is the stuff that's about my childhood. Like the stuff about my dad and the vibrator in the garage and my mother, and my mother calling her Gunter. And I don't know why I like that joke so much about, and it, you know what it is? It's something... I like it because these are things that me and my brothers laughed about for decades and I got to share them with the whole world. You know what I mean? Like little in-family jokes. And and it was the nice thing was that people also found them funny. And, you know, everybody has their little in-jokes about their parents and stuff like that, but I get get a little bit... uh, uh, misty-eyed when I when I do an impersonation of my father and everyone laughs. Okay, I think that's kind of sweet. And maybe not my best material, but that's the stuff I like performing the most. Sure. Do you ever make stuff up from scratch, or do you exaggerate stuff? I, or do you actively I, avoid doing? I'm it? a great embellisher. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's got a everything. 
my stories range from being 100% true down to about 30% true. Okay. Um, and and uh, I find it weird that sometimes comics will pull me up on it. Okay. And then they'll go, I was there that night with you. And they'll go, that didn't, that wasn't how it happened. And then I was like, the fact that you know that you were there that night with me means that I'm telling something true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. And like, like, you know, and sometimes you get that from some guy and you'll go like, Ross Noble, are you telling me that I'm not, <laughs> yeah. am, I'm not living in the real world? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, but is there, um, where does that impulse come from? Is it, is it simply that you can't, you're not interested in making stuff up or is it that you can't find, uh, you know, that you, you, you can't embellish if there isn't a grain of truth to begin yeah, with. Yeah, I, I, I just, um, yeah, I can't make something up from scratch, scratch. Sure. I don't think I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm not smart enough or I'm not interested or whatever. But you know, occasionally I can make up a little sort of Seinfeld-esque type joke or whatever. And um, the problem with me is often I, I can't watch other stand-ups anymore because I will get too influenced, and I, I won't okay. say. I won't say still jokes, but I can get a line from someone else's story and it'll seep in. So, so my policy now is to watch nothing okay. and just stick to my guns. Or, or what I do watch is nothing that is similar to what I do. Yeah, okay. Right, so I love a good ventriloquist act now. Yeah. <laughs> right? that's, that's what I want to go see. Or I want to yeah. see something silly or, you know, I'm fucking the boy with tape on his face. Sure. These are things I can watch now, but yeah. I don't want to watch storytelling, guys. And have you been? Have you? Do you see a lot of stuff when you're at the festival? Um, I saw a lot more this year because uh, the the pregnant girlfriend. You know, they, they watch shows instead of getting drunk. <laughs> um, I did set list. I was hammered on stage at set list. Okay, that's terrifying. Have you yeah, I, don't, I did that once at the beginning of the at the beginning of this year. Yeah, oh. yeah that's it. for those that don't know. Set list is a uh, a kind of terrifying prospect where comics are given their subject matter they're given a set list as they walk to the stage so you can't prepare anything but the conceit of the show is you need to tell the stories like they'll flash up behind you something like I got helpful necrophiliac like deliberately difficult or provocative yeah, set list yeah, titles yeah I, yeah messiah std yeah said and then you're just like yeah and, and it's literally your brain goes you know when you're having sex with Jesus and you got an STD yeah and then it was just like What's all that about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, but you have to you have to treat it as if it's your material. So you've got to kind of sell it as if you're as if you're not just making it up. Yeah, yeah. How did you find that experience? It's a great leveler, isn't it? I, I, I don't. I no, they laughed. I don't remember a single word of what yeah. I said. I was drunk, but it's also it's like apart from being drunk, your brain's just going, and, yeah. and you you feel like it, it was out of body. I'm serious. It was the one of the most exhilarating things. Yeah. It's like your first gig all over again. All these comics backstage of all various, you know, I was backstage with kind of Eddie Pepitone and Richard Herring and people like that and Trevor Noah as well. And we were all just going, what what the hell, what is it? What are we going to do? Yeah, yeah. And I was stressing out so much and pacing around and everyone else had already done the gig so it was my first one. So I think at the beginning of the run a lot of people would have been pacing. But the people who have done it once were pretty calm. Yeah. And But I was like stressing, I'm going to be shit, I'm going to be shit, I'm going to be shit, I'm going to be shit. And my girlfriend... My girlfriend um, pulled me up on it to the side and she went, you, you, you're acting like an asshole." <laughs> <laughs> 
He goes, she goes, everyone knows you're a good comic. You're acting like a fucking asshole. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm stressed. He goes, you know what you are? You're the thin girl talking to the fat girl saying how fat you've gotten. <laughs> 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 and I was, I was like, oh, yeah, I know that girl. I'm really sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what advice would you give to, uh, <clears throat> to budding stand-ups? It, it's... Um, turnover material as much as possible. The 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 the, the most important thing is um, is is is, uh, is I'm going to say quantity of material over quality. Mm. And the more you have, the more people buy into you. The fact is that there's so many bitter old comics that go, I don't know why I kill it in the clubs every week. Why am I not on TV? I'm mm. always killing it in the clubs. Yeah, you're killing it in the clubs with the same 20 minutes. Mm. And you might be, that might be the most amazing 20 minutes you've ever heard, but people will only see you twice. They won't see you three times. If it's word for word and exactly the same. So you really, the aim I reckon is to write between 40, 40 minutes to an hour 20 of material every year. Okay. And it's not as hard as you think if you just focus on um, one minute a week. Okay. You'll be right. One minute a week. And also it's, I think Louis C.K. said it really well is, um, is is I, I, I'm quoting him from a, a, another interview, mm -hmm. but he said when they had the California Gold Rush, people used to pan for gold, and they were so focused on gold that they were throwing chunks of silver away. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. Because I'm here for gold, not realizing that silver is really valuable, right? Sure. So. You don't just go write this amazing joke and then think all your other jokes are shit in comparison. You, you know, and also if you if you want to get good, throw your best joke away. Yeah, be willing to let go of that joke because you don't want to become this guy where they yell out and they try to. I've got plenty of those jokes where they yell out, do the egg or whatever, and it's like, and I'm like, no, no, no. And once it's retired, it's fucking dead, retired forever. Okay. So that's it. That's the absolute rule. You can once something's done, it's done. <clears throat> I just think it's the only way you can make fans. Okay. And 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 you put something on a on an, it, once it airs on television, you don't do it again. Okay. It's already or more DVD TV you can do it again. Sure. Once you put it on a DVD, that's it. It's it's over. And and then if people yell it out and say do this routine, you say the DVDs are available in the foyer. Yeah. Yeah, that way they also sell more DVDs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the thing is, how disappointed would they be if you did all the material off the DVDs? But there's a bit of them that want you to do those jokes because they want to go to their friend, huh? huh? Yeah, totally. And on the, yeah, yeah. on the few occasions where they, they won't stop, I go, all right, or maybe in an encore I'll do a, mm -hmm. an old routine. And they never laugh as much. They just smile and go... <laughs> <laughs> they just get excited, but they're not laughing, but they're just happy to see it. Yeah. You know? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid that is all we've got time for. Uh, would you please join me in thanking Mr. Jim Jeffries? Thanks, man. He's a lovely man, Jim. I really enjoyed that. I, I'd met him before. I gigged with him once or twice, but I didn't know him very well in, until that interview, and I, I, I really found myself getting very, very fond of him. He's got a wicked sense of humour, obviously. If you haven't seen his stand-up, please try and get to see him. And uh, his TV show, Legit, is available to watch on TV if you're in America, or you can probably sniff it out by other means if you're not. Thanks to Jim, thanks to Graham Crockford and Dan Melrose for the music. Thanks to you for listening. Do vote at chortle.co.uk if you fancy smashing in the establishment 
punishment and getting little Stu the first win of anything of his career. Um, I'll be back in a week with my first interview from the Adelaide Fringe. That's all from me. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.